If you'd like to be turning to the book of Hebrews, to the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8. It's great to be back at a 9.30 meeting. I think I was looking, the last time I preached on a three-meeting Sunday, not six, one lot of three, was on March the 6th, so it's been a while. I don't think I've been at the 9.30 meeting since, so it's very good to be with you. We're going to look at just a few verses from the end of chapter 7 of Hebrews, so from verse 26 through to verse 2 in chapter 8. So I'll read that first. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Now, the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord not by a mere human being. Okay, this, these few verses come at the conclusion of this big chapter, chapter 7, where he, the, the writers made this great uh, comparison of the old priesthood and the new priesthood of Jesus, who comes as priest in the order of Melchizedek. And this kind of interesting... Uh, it's, it, Big stuff to get your teeth into and to look into, which we did last time, uh, back at the All Together at the end of April. But he comes to these few verses, and it's almost like it's a kind of conclusion of that whole argument of, look, Jesus, a new priest has come, the new, the, someone completely different, other. Yes, we can see similarities from the old priesthood, but look, Jesus has come. But also, It's a a kind of introduction. This is the main point. We have such a high priest. Into He's going to go on and look at all the more things. How we can see, well, the old priests were a bit like this. And now Jesus has come, it's like this. And he's going to look at different uh, big topics about the old covenant. And now the new covenant that's come. We can see that a few verses later. We can see in in 8 verse 6. In fact, the ministry that Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old ones. Old ones, since the new covenant is established on better promises. So he's going to go into that in some detail and look at these two covenants. He's going to look at the tabernacles that they minister in, the place where these priests come to offer sacrifice, or the places where they serve before God. We see that in verse 2 of chapter 8, 
that Jesus serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. He's going to go on to say, look, the old, where the priests served before, that was just a copy and a shadow of what was coming, of where Jesus was going to go. And he's going to look again in detail at the sacrifices that those priests brought. About how, yes, the priests in the Old Testament had to bring sacrifices and Jesus, he had something to offer himself. But also that they offered again and again, but Jesus came and offered it himself once and for all. He's going to go on and look at those different things in more detail through the rest of chapter 8, 9 and 10. But we're on this kind of, on the cusp of that, coming out of looking at Melchizedek, going on to looking at that and what does he say? The main point of what we're saying is this. It's like a pause to say, look, such a high priest truly meets our needs. Look at him. We can almost look through those verses with a kind of, if only we had such a high priest. You can look at it and see such a high priest would truly meet our needs. A holy, blameless one. One who doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day, but one who's offered once and for all. And he was perfect. He didn't have to offer for his sins, but just for ours. Not just a weak man like the law appoints, but one, the Son of God, who's been made perfect forever. We can look at it almost in a kind of if only. Oh, yeah, well, that would be really good if that was the case. It's almost like if you follow football. We could be saying, if only one day one of the smaller teams would win the Premier League. If only it wasn't one of the big four who win it every year and expect to win it and get really disappointed if they finish second. Whilst the rest of us are thinking, if only we could get anywhere near second. If only that could happen. And it's almost like he says, now the main point of what we're saying is this, look, Leicester won. It happened. Now, that is obviously incredibly trivial in comparison. But he's saying, we can have this if only. It would be so good if. Or even look at it kind of academically. Yes, I can see Jesus is a much better priest. Jesus is so good. Uh, he's so much better. He's saying, look, I'm talking about a true reality. The main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest. The wonderful truth of this book. We have such a high priest. Because in some ways we can look at the the big example of Melchizedek and get into all the nitty gritty and the, the, what, what does it mean that he was like Melchizedek and this and that and the others and we can go on and look at the, the differences between the two covenants and, the, and the, the sacrifices that they offer and the places where they offered their sacrifices but the main point is this we have such a high priest we have Jesus This is the truth that the Bible is screaming out. It's about Jesus. 
It's all about Jesus, the wonderful Son of God, the Saviour, the great High Priest. And so today, before in future weeks we delve into well, what is this comparison of the two covenants? What is, what is he talking about, the different sacrifices they brought? What, what does he mean that now there's a, a different tabernacle? Or the tabernacle from before was just a copy today? Let's focus on the fact we have this great high priest. We're going to look at three points that rhyme. We're going to see him, Jesus, the one. And then let's look at what he has done so that now we can come. <laughs> no, we don't, we don't get excited about the fact that I can make some things rhyme. <clears throat> okay, Jesus the one. So we see Hebrews 8, draw, well, Hebrews, this bit, draws our attention to such a high priest who truly meets our needs. One who is holy, Perfect, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, and a bit later on, one who is the Son, the Son of God. And all throughout Scripture, we're pointed to this one, this high priest, to Jesus, the Son of God. All throughout Scripture, the holy, perfect one, the one of whom John says at the beginning of his gospel, in the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Through him, all things were made. We're taking right back to the story of creation. That there, as God brings the world into being, we see God speaks. And the world is formed by his powerful words. We see Jesus, through whom all things were made. He's the one. He was there right back at the beginning. He's the one who was coming. And he's spoken of all throughout the Old Testament. We see very soon after in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, we see Adam and Eve listening to the serpent. We see God's made them to live in this perfect garden, this perfect place, this perfect world that he's made. They listen to the serpent. Does God really love you? Take some of this. Have some of this fruit. And they fall. But even there we see in Genesis 3.15, we see God speaks to the serpent. says, I'm going to put enmity between your, between your offspring and hers. Is that right? Let me go back to Genesis 3. We're going to have enmity between the serpent and the offspring of the woman. That is the right way around. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. That was right. But then this, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The echoes of what Jesus was going to come and do. Right back in the garden. Look, humanity has just fallen from its perfect place before God. And God's saying, look, I've got a plan. I've got a plan. One is going to come. He is going to come. He will crush the serpent's head. He will deal with the devil and with death and with sin. He's coming. Jesus, he's the one. 
all the way through. We've seen, as we've looked at Hebrews, Abraham and the promise that God gives to him. How God calls him out from a place and says, I'm going to take you to a land that I will show you. Shows him the stars in the sky and says, look, your descendants are going to be like this. They're going to be too numerous to count. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And through your offspring, all nations will be blessed. Through your offspring, this echo again. And Paul picks it up and says, look, this is talking about Jesus. Again, through Jesus, Abraham's offspring, the one who will be born, Jesus is, God is going to bless all the nations of the world. Even there, we see these signs. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. He's the one. And on and on throughout the scriptures, pictures and prophecies pointing to Jesus coming. We see the picture again with Abraham. Abraham and Isaac going up. God says, Abraham, take your son Isaac, whom you love, and sacrifice him to me. Let me see, gets to the point, and God says, no, Abraham, stop. Look. There's a ram caught in the thicket. Offer him, offer the ram instead. Offer the ram instead. I'm going to spare your son. We see this picture of, look, God is going to provide an alternative. God is going to provide a substitute where, actually, where Isaac was going to die, now he's saved. Because God would provide a different sacrifice. Again, pointing ahead. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. He's the one. He's the great high priest. Keeps going. God rescues his people through Moses. Again, we see the lamb being sacrificed. We know that story of God leading his people out of Egypt. But they had to sacrifice the lamb. Paint the blood on the door. And again... Their firstborns were spared. They were, the lamb died instead of them. And they could come out. Another substitute. Another one who took the place. And we see Moses leading the people out. But one day another hero would come. Who would lead the people out to the promised land. To the place where God was going to take them. And there's prophecy again and again through Isaiah, through Ezekiel, through Jeremiah, through David. Isaiah particularly, we see that great passage in Isaiah 9. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's all pointing, one is coming. He's coming. This one, the one who this whole book points to. We have such a high priest. David again tells of the one who will come, as we've, quoted, we've looked at in Hebrews again, of the one who would come as priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Look, there's one who is coming. There's one who is coming. All the way through. It's all crying out. Jesus is coming. He's the one, the one who is coming. And it ha- it's all through the Bible, right the way through to Revelation. Right at the end of the Bible, we see in Revelation 5, verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain 
to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. It's about Jesus. The Lamb who was coming are holy, blameless, pure, set apart, exalted high priest. The one whose scripture is all about. That's the point. Look to him. Look at this one who all of scripture is crying out about. Jesus, the son of God. He's the one. He is the one. But as the writer to the Hebrews declares in Hebrews 1 verse 1, he's not just spoken about throughout scripture. He's not just hinted at and promised but he's come. Hebrews 1 verse 1, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus has come. Jesus has come. He's the one, the high priest, the, the, the son of God. But in order to become our high priest, he had to come. So we see that Jesus, he's the one, he's the one that scripture declares. But we see also, look what he has done. It's glorious. The holy, perfect, pure, blameless son of God. But to be our high priest, he had to come to earth. Jesus has come. The writer's already talked of Jesus becoming a man in chapter 2, particularly Verse 14, this is what had to happen. Chapter 2, verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. And on in verse 17, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. And so we see the Christmas story. Familiar, lovely, and yet so wonderfully profound that the Son of God, this perfect Holy One, who's been spoken about all through the Scriptures, came to earth as a baby. Came to earth as a baby. We know the story The angel came to Mary. You're going to have a baby. You're going to have a child. He's going to be the son of the Most High. We see this baby laid in a manger. See shepherds come and wise men. And all this stuff. But in the midst of it, this baby is the one who God has promised. The one that God has said, I'm going to send my son. As we sing in Christmas carols, very God, now in flesh appearing. So what's Jesus done? He's come. He's come to earth. But more than that, he's, he lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life. We see again in Hebrews in 4 verse 15. 
Chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. We see one, he was tempted in every way. He lived. He lived a life of trial and temptation and all of that. Yet he was perfect. He did not sin. See what he has done. Jesus, the holy, perfect son of God. He became a man. He stepped down. He lived a perfect life on earth. We can read so much about that wonderful life of him declaring the kingdom and performing miracles and all of that. We can see that through the Gospels. But now, specifically, what are we looking at? He truly meets our needs. How does he truly meet our needs? Hebrews seven twenty seven. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. We see our high priest, the wonderful, awesome, perfect, pure son of God who stepped down and became a man, offered his life. As a priest, he had to have something to offer. The writer's going to go on and say that uh, in, in fact, just where we stopped. In chapter 8, verse 3, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifice, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. And Jesus, our great high priest, offered himself. So we come from all the Old Testament whispers and pointers of the one who would come to Bethlehem's manger, to the one who came as a baby. He's come to earth. We come all the way to Calvary's cross. And we see the king of the universe, the son of God, dying on a cross. Taking my guilt, my shame, dying for their sin once for all. What's our writer saying? The main point of what we're saying is this we have such a high priest. We have this Jesus. One who came, one who died, who offered himself. And what does it mean? Such a high priest truly meets our needs. Because to understand that, we need to know that our great need, what is our need? We, our great need is that we are lost in sin. That actually, we looked very briefly at Adam and Eve falling in the garden. They listened to the serpent, they took the fruit, and ever since humanity has been a fallen people. We are all in Adam. 
lost in our sin. It's not just that we do bad things, but we are lost in sin. We cannot do other. And so what we needed was to be freed from sin. Because before we could not be free from sin. And that's the point he's also making. The law and the priesthood could not deal with it. What's it say? That Jesus, unlike the other high priest, doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for their own, for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. The, the priests in the Old Testament would come day after day, offer sacrifice for their sin and for the sins of the people. Keep coming back again and again and again and again. And in some obscure way, I was reminded of the film Groundhog Day, if you're old enough to remember the 1993 classic with Bill Murray, where he gets stuck in this loop of reliving the same day, day after day after day, well, one day after day, the same day, again, again. And whatever he does, whatever he does, he brings, he, he tries to, maybe tries to do different things, or he's doing something, he keeps, doing, keeps living this day and he cannot escape. And every morning he wakes up again and it's the same song on the radio. And it's the same day again. Now, we can't push this analogy too far. There's a sense we cannot do anything about it. Bill Murray's character couldn't get out. In fact, you could argue that in, a, in the end he kind of works it out and eventually he sorts it. But there's that sense he cannot do anything about it. Whatever he does that day, he's going to end up in the same place. It's not effective. It doesn't get him out. And in the Old Testament, the priests kept bringing their sacrifices. But they couldn't truly and effectively deal with sin. They couldn't break the power of sin and death. And the point for us is, there's nothing we can do about our sin. There's nothing we can do. We cannot earn or somehow attain salvation and freedom from our sin. Romans 3 points this out. Romans chapter 3 and verse 19. We've looked there before, but we'll look again. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that passage kind of gives the... uh, Punchline's the wrong word. It gives the answer as well as the problem, which we'll come to. It's a sneak preview. But we cannot do anything about it. By our own efforts, we cannot be free from sin. 
The priests brought sacrifices again and again. As they were commanded to do, they kept bringing it, but they couldn't deal fully with sin. And today, we can so easily think that it's all about our efforts and how that we'll be judged on. Many can think, well, basically I'm a good person. On balance, it kind of works out in my favour. It's the way of the law. That, that somehow our efforts and our good deeds will somehow balance out or, or kind of show that really we're good enough. Or indeed, we can, we can think the opposite and think, actually, there's no way that I'm good enough and I'm, I'm not good enough I, because I, I need to help more people or I need to be a better person. I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to do more good things. But this is the point. In him bringing, the main point is this. We have such a high priest. The truth is, we cannot earn our way. But he truly meets our needs. Because he offered himself once and for all. He deals with our deepest need. He deals with sin. He is the one who breaks the power of death. And of sin on our lives. The point is, it's not about us and what we do, but it's about our great high priest and what he has done. What does Jesus say himself in John chapter 3 and verse 16? Famous words, but wonderful truth. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Believing in him, what he has done, what he has won for us. Because he has paid the price. He offered his life once and for all. We have such a high priest. Jesus is the one. Look what he's done. He has offered himself paying the price of sin, once and for all. And so thirdly, so we can come. We can come to God. Jesus meets our needs. He brings salvation and forgiveness. But also, what does does Peter say in 1 Peter 3, verse 18? And then we'll come back to the passage in Hebrews. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 18, we see this wonderful truth about what Jesus has done. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's what we've been saying. Jesus has done it. He, we have such a high priest. He's done it. He's offered once and for all. But what? To bring you to God. To bring you to God. To bring us to God. This is God's plan. To bring a people to himself. We see it here. We see here in in chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, something about that. It may not seem entirely obvious, immediate, but the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest 
who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. What's he saying there? Our high priest is the son of God, the holy one, and he is sat down at the right hand of the father. He serves not in a tent in the desert or in a temple in Jerusalem or wherever else, but he is seated and he serves before the very throne of God. The point he's making is we don't come any longer to an earthly priest in an earthly temple, as he's going to go on to say in more length in the following chapters. We no longer come to a tabernacle that is a copy. As he says in chapter 8, verse 5, nor to one of these human priests who are just men in all their weakness. But because of what Jesus has done, because of God's great plan of salvation, we come to the Son of God, our great high priest, seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. What we see here is there's not any kind of arm's length approach. Previously, Moses might have met with God. The people could come to Moses. Or maybe the priest could come into God's presence once a year in in the throne room, in the temple. Even then, only in a copy of the very throne room of heaven. But the people were at arm's length. Almost like you could imagine writing perhaps to the queen or to the prime minister or some government official if you had a need or a desire to. And it might, it might, the queen or the prime minister might find out what was in that letter, but they may not end up reading it themselves. It will probably get opened by some lower official. And then maybe you'll get a reply, which probably will be from someone else who works with them. Thank you for your letter. The Prime Minister thanks you for what you've, what you've mentioned and, uh, and whatever else. You may even get a meeting with a particular person, but it probably won't be the Prime Minister or the Queen or whatever. There's an arm's length sense. They're important. You can, you can kind of talk, talk to them, but through, through this other person... We'll take your message back to them. But now we have Jesus. We have the Son of God. Who is such a high priest who truly meets our needs. He is with the Father in heaven. And we come to him. And so there's no longer a sense of, I need to hang back. I'm not not good enough. I couldn't possibly come in. What does Hebrews say again in chapter 4, verse 15? We looked at it before, but we didn't didn't finish. Chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Here we are. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can come to God. We can approach his throne with confidence. Why? Because we truly have such a high priest. Jesus, the Son of God, who has offered himself once and for all. Who has paid the price. Who has made a way for us to come to God. To be saved, to be forgiven, to be free from the power of sin. And the writer draws our attention to it to say, look, this, this is the main point. This is the thing that matters more than anything. We have Jesus. We have Jesus. And so, there is a way to be saved. There's a way to be saved and there's a way to know God. There's a way to be free from sin and the power of death and to have eternal life with him forever. We can know him. And if we do know him today, we can press in to him. We can, as Becky was reminding us earlier, cling to him. Like that climbing plant who just said, I'm clinging on to this. Not to other things that appear sturdy or strong, but to Jesus, our great high priest. Let's pray.